I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Block. This week on The West Block. can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected President of the United States. After more than three days of uncertainty, Democrat Joe Biden has defeated Donald Trump. You committed voter fraud! What's next for the divided states of America? And why was the election so close? We talk with a former chair of the Democratic National Committee and former Vermont governor, Howard Dean. And he was Canada's man in D.C. Gary Dewar, former Canadian ambassador to the U.S., weighs in on what a Biden presidency means for us north of the border and Ottawa's reaction to the next president. It's Sunday, November 8th. I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and this is the West Block. Election night in the United States dragged on for days. Any hopes of a Democratic landslide evaporated as President Trump's support surged in some key battleground states. But former Vice President Joe Biden kept a pathway to victory open. And as the mail-in ballots continued to be counted, by midday Saturday, he was declared the 46th president of the United States. Joining us now to talk about this is former chair of the Democratic National Committee and former candidate for the 2004 Democratic presidential nomination, as well as the former governor of Vermont, Howard Dean. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mr. Dean. Thanks for having me. What does a Biden presidency look like? What is Joe Biden's first priority now that he is the president-elect? I think uh, Biden's first priority is trying to bring the country together. Now, that's not going to be an easy task. Um, you know, the Trump people really almost are like a cult. They believe what Trump says and not anybody else. And Trump and the truth are great strangers. So it'll not be an easy task. Um, I do think the Republicans are going to try to get something done, um, which will hopefully be constructive. But uh, I've been wrong in the past. And McConnell has a long uh, history of being an obstructionist. So the hard work is now beginning, but the most important part has passed. And in terms of foreign relations, Biden be, will be an enormous improvement to our allies. Why do you think this race was so close? Because a lot of Democrats were expecting a landslide for Biden. I think a lot of Canadians thought it would be a landslide for Biden. That was not the case. So, so why do you think the Republicans and, and Donald Trump did so well? Um, two reasons, really. First of all, Trump uh, got his base out. And, and I mean, he really is a cult leader. And he got a huge participation on, from his base, who are not necessarily Republicans. They simply are people who feel like they've been downtrodden for too long and they're resentful and angry and nothing better than getting people to the polls in anger. Um, and the other reason is that uh, I think Joe Biden was the perfect candidate for us, but he wasn't exciting. So our side didn't have any trouble getting excited because of their dislike for Trump. But Joe is not the kind of inspirational candidate that gets people out. They were coming out because they wanted real change. Joe is the right guy for this job at this time, and he was the right candidate for this job at this time. But getting huge numbers of people out to vote uh, was really Trump's uh, job, and Trump did that for both sides. You talked about the, the divided states of America, essentially, and it's a term we've been hearing. And when we look at these numbers with the red and blue, Joe Biden has said there's no red states, there's no blue states, there's only the United States. But the reality is the current environment in the United States is incredibly polarized. How does he overcome that, especially when he has to deal with a divided Senate and a divided Congress as well? Well, that's the, a big problem. I, I think it's going to be very hard to advance 
some of the things that even Trump's people need, like universal health care. Um, but he, he has to try that. The thing is that Biden's personality is such that he does actually get along well with McConnell, which is not an easy task, apparently. Um, so uh, I think there'll be an effort, certainly on things like the budget, they should be able to come to a reasonable compromise, um, which they did when Obama, when Biden was Obama's vice president and, and something needed to get done in the Senate, he would go and, and work it out with McConnell. Um, so, but it's gonna be hard. It is gonna be hard because, uh, uh, you know, Trump has really poisoned the well. He's certainly the most divisive president we've had uh, since Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln was a statesman, and you could never accuse Trump of being a statesman. Do you think that Donald Trump has fundamentally changed America, or does he reflect a changing America? I think he reflects the changing of America, but he's on the losing side. Um, our, our side is young, uh, it's diverse, uh, it's overwhelmingly female. That's the future of America. If you look at the last three elections, uh, our, our, our side in the parliaments and in the Congress and the uh, House of Representatives around the country is younger, more female and darker. Uh, and that's the future of America, it's the future of the world. And I think a lot of the Trump resentment comes because of people who are scared of the change and, and angry about the change. Does the Republican Party stick with Donald Trump at this point as he continues to refuse to acknowledge or uh, th that he has lost the election, to concede defeat to Joe Biden, uh, to have all of these legal attempts to change the results, as well as you know him simply saying the election's been stolen and so in all these doubts about fundamentally the American voting system and the democracy in the United States. Where do you see the Republican Party going? I think the Republicans are absolutely terrified of Trump. Uh, not one of them has a backbone between all 50 Senate, some odd senators. Uh, they didn't stand up to, for any of the American principles. They didn't stand up for democracy. <laughs> one of the Utah senators was quoted saying, well, we're really not that interested in democracy. We're interested in liberty and prosperity. Well, I suspect the Constitution says something different. They are terrified of Trump because Trump controls the cult. He controls those votes. He's already sent two, uh, at least two senators and a governor uh, to par par pariah land in terms of politics and had them replaced. And he can do that anytime he wants in any primary he wants. It doesn't speak to the majority of Americans, but he certainly controls the Republican Party. I think if the election were held today, the, the nominating process in 2024, Trump could be the nominee if he wanted to be. Are you concerned about violence in the United States from people who don't accept the election result? Oh, no, there may be some, but I don't think there'll be a lot. Um, I really don't. I, I, you know, there, there are a few nut, nut cases that are running around with guns in state houses, but that doesn't represent, the, I think, the majority of most Americans. You mentioned that you think that President-elect Biden will be a better president for allies, including Canada. Lots of Canadians have been watching this very closely. Of course, under the Trump administration, uh, we were the subject of national security tariffs on steel and aluminum. Joe Biden might be closer in ideology to Justin Trudeau, but he's also a big Buy America guy. He believes in economic nationalism. So what do you think will happen in terms of the economic relationship between Canada and the United States under a Biden presidency? Well, first, you have to understand that Biden is going to be a green president. So I don't know what happens in the energy industry. But I can also tell you that Biden, unlike Trump, because he was vice president for eight years, understands how important international relationships are. We had a great relationship with Canada before Trump came along. And I think that great relationship will be put back in place. Yes, there'll be some disputes. Uh, yes, there'll be particularly environmental concerns. But I think uh, in terms of punitive tariffs, 
that needs to go away. And I think Biden understands that our relationships with our allies is absolutely critical. And you don't make good relationships with allies uh, by attacking people's jobs. The truth of the matter is Trump's trades, trade uh, tariffs hurt American jobs more than it hurt uh, other people's jobs. I mean, our border was essentially didn't exist in terms of trade. A lot of the cars are made in Canada and bought here or bought here and made here and bought in Canada. It was ridiculous. What Trump did was ridiculous in terms of trade. And I think those kinds of ridiculous things that he did are going to disappear. Mr. Dean, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. Well, as all of you at home know, the Canada-U.S. relationship is absolutely critical. So to give us the Canadian reaction to a Joe Biden presidency, we are joined this morning by Francois-Philippe Champagne, the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Thank you for coming on the program, Minister. What will your priorities be with a Biden administration? First of all, let me say that the American people have spoken, uh, that we want to congratulate uh, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris, uh, both who know Canada very well. As you know, Vice President-elect Harris lived in Montreal. I, I think the big price is to build back better together. I mean, if there was one thing that I would say, um, the President-elect yesterday talked about opportunities, possibilities, and when you translate that into the Canadian context, um, as you know, COVID is in the mind of everyone watching. So how can we cooperate on the COVID response how can we cooperate on the next big challenge, which is climate change and fighting climate change? And obviously, we've been uh, looking at what was said and the plan they have. And on the economy, for me, it's like, how can we innovate more together? How can we manufacture more together? And how can we sell together to the world uh, to create the millions of jobs on both sides of the Atlantic? Uh, sorry, on both sides of the border and, and making sure that... Uh, this, this, this space, the North American space, you know, that we start talking at, about buying North America, uh, that we work together. And I think those are the type of things that we're going to be pursuing. Minister, do, with, do you uh, think you'll be able to convince them to do that? Because Buy American is a big Joe Biden campaign promise, and that could have negative economic consequences for Canada, including canceling Keystone XL. Well, let me talk first about the integrated supply chains we have. I mean, Canadians know, uh, you know, the, the American uh, sell more to Canada than China, Japan and the UK combined. So uh, what we're going to be making the case is that as supply chains are going from global to regional, from, uh, you know, efficiency to resiliency, uh, the best way to provide stability, predictability on both sides of the border is to work closer together. Uh, when it comes to the energy file, like you said, Keystone XL, well, we'll certainly make the case that Canada has been and remains uh, uh, the most trusted energy supplier to the United States, uh, that we will want to work with them, that we have a price on carbon, we're going to zero neutral by uh, 2050, and that uh, we should look at what we can do in the North American context. I mean, this is a great opportunity, uh, as the president-elect said, uh, to look at what we can do more together. And, and I think we'll have two allies in the White House. But let's remember, President Trump is the president of the United States until January 22nd, uh, 20th. So uh, we'll be uh, working closely together, uh, obviously, as uh, there's a smooth transition. What are your thoughts on how a Biden administration will try to help the two Canadians who are basically being held hostage in China, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig? Uh, of course, they were arrested at the request of the United States. We now have a new administration. What are you planning for on that? Do you think that there's a chance the Biden administration might drop the extradition request? 
Well, we're going to be working closely. I mean, this is top of the agenda. Uh, we have worked with the previous administration uh, to free uh, both Michael Colvering and Michael's favor. And I think what you're going to see, uh, talking to my European colleagues uh, over uh, the last week, is how can we work together closer, um, you know, uh, defending uh, things that are uh, cherished by Canadians, you know, freedom, liberty, and, and democracy. I think you'll see a sense of coming uh, togetherness um, in order to um, uh, face uh, the challenges that are posed by China. Uh, and, and I think you'll see that also in a number of international organizations. Like I said, uh, the fight against climate change is going to be front and center. And I think there, there's a lot of, of common interests uh, that both sides will want to pursue. I think, uh, like the president-elect said, there's a lot of opportunities and possibilities uh, to, to work together. And we're looking forward, uh, obviously, to work with the new administration. Are you concerned about the possibility of violence or those who don't accept the election result? Well, the American people have spoken, and, and certainly we hope for a, a smooth transition. We trust on a smooth transition. Uh, we'll be following uh, the events very carefully, understanding that uh, uh, President Trump is the president of the United States, like I said, until uh, January uh, 20th, and, and therefore, but at the same time, um, you know, what we have heard yesterday from President-elect uh, Biden is that he's putting a group of people to look at COVID, the COVID response. He talked about science and, and certainly will be uh, looking at opportunities uh, when he takes office uh, to look at what we can do more, for example, on vaccines, on the border in, in order to protect people. But I think uh, the real opportunity is really how can we build back better together? I think okay. there uh, for Canadians, there's a lot of good things uh, coming. Minister, that's all the time we have for today, but thank you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now to get the latest from Washington, D.C., we are joined by Josh Wingrove, a Canadian reporter working for Bloomberg. Josh, you've been following the Trump campaign. You were actually on Air Force One traveling around on it. A lot of people wondering today, what are Donald Trump's next steps? And, and do you think that he's going to concede defeat? Yeah, I, I think he will concede in the sense that he will leave. But I don't think he will concede in the sense that he will acknowledge the loss publicly. I think you will continue to hear him complain, including this morning on Twitter, uh, that he you know, had a rigged election, that he won it, that there were illegal votes counted that put Joe Biden over the top. This is, of course, simply not the case. There is no evidence of widespread fraud that you know, would have steered an election to the scale that he's talking about. You know, he's lost some of these states by wide margins, not by speed. And so, you know, I think it just he'll construct his own narrative on the way out the door. But one way or another, I fully expect that you're going to hear a lot from Donald Trump going forward, regardless of if he's the president. And a lot of questions, one of the questions people are asking is, will Trump himself seek the nomination again in 2024? Well, and I think that's a really interesting question because Republicans are going to have to ask themselves if they want to continue to back this guy uh, or if they want to pull away and, and jump ship. Do we know sort of how long the time frame is on some of these recounts and legal challenges that are underway? They will take weeks, but it's kind of unclear onto how much, uh, you know, it's going to happen. Uh, Wisconsin, for instance, is a state where they immediately called for a recount, but haven't put up the cash yet to fund it. You have to kind of put in money to, to do the recount. So it's not clear because they're fundraising right now whether they're actually going to go through with this or whether they're just making a show of wanting it. Recounts are probably coming in Georgia, 
you know, the votes are still being counted. It'll probably be the end of the month before we have a firm idea, but things are shaping up pretty squarely right now. Biden looks like he's going to win Pennsylvania by a healthy margin. That sort of eliminates the questions about Arizona and Georgia. He doesn't really need them to get over the hump. So what his final score will be is kind of unclear, but it's you know certain, uh, according to all the networks that have called it now, that one way or another, he will be the president. Joe Biden has won this presidency, but obviously the U.S. system is different than ours. They don't have the fused uh, legislative executive branches. So he is going to have to deal with Congress and the Senate. What is that situation going to look like for Joe Biden coming out of this election? I know some of, the, some of those votes are still underway, too, but what's it looking like? Will he be able to actually accomplish anything? There's going to be a pair of runoffs in Georgia that determine control of the Senate. I think most people would expect Republicans to win one or both of those. This is a huge deal. It's very unusual for new presidents to come in and not control both houses of Congress. Joe Biden will probably not have the Senate. And so that is going to stymie him. It will make it difficult for uh, you know, judges. It will make it difficult to pass any law. It, you know, it could even delay his cabinet. Uh, so I think if you were hoping that Joe Biden's victory would you know, change course in Washington, I wouldn't hold my breath. What we're looking at, unless Democrats win those special runoff uh, elections in January in Georgia, what we're looking at is uh, at least two years of, of more or less gridlock. There is stuff Biden can do unilaterally. A lot of Trump done has been the last two years has been unilateral. Josh, but we, luck, we just have a few seconds left, but I do want to go back to what you said about the allegations of cheating and illegal acts in the election. You haven't seen anything that backs that up. No, I mean, you're going to find one-off cases, but nothing on the scale that the president is talking about, and even his Republican allies are saying that that's simply not the case of widespread fraud. They'll, they'll be investigated, but it's not happening on the scale that would tilt the election. Okay, Josh, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining us from Washington, D.C. Thank you. Joining us now is Ambassador Gary Doerr. He was Canada's ambassador to the United States for many years, also former premier of Manitoba. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mercedes. Good morning to you. Good morning. You know, a lot of Canadians are watching this Biden presidency unfold. Uh, we've been speaking to the foreign affairs minister on the show today. We spoke to Howard Dean, who, of course, is the former chairman of the DNC. Uh, but what this whole relationship will mean for Canada, how do you think the relationship will change now that there is a Biden presidency? Well, it'll certainly be less chaotic and more orderly, uh, more predictable. Uh, more consultation rather than uh, unilateral decision-making on the other side of the border. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, Vice President Biden, President-elect Biden, knows Canada well. He was just up there recently uh, visiting uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. Uh, but he also was up in Canada with the Vancouver Whistler Olympics that we hosted a number of years ago. And that was great for Canada uh, because, first of all, we were a wonderful world host. And secondly, United States won the most medals, but Canada, thankfully, won the women's and men's gold medal in hockey. So there was something for both of us in that uh, great set of events. One of the most important files, arguably the most important right now, is that of Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. Uh, of course, the United States has said, and Donald Trump has said, that he was making entreaties to China to release those two men. Do you think that Biden will take a harder line or be more active on that file than the Trump administration was? Well, he'll be uh, similar to what he was in the past on China, wanting them to follow the rule of law. Uh, wanting them to uh, 
not uh, act in an arbitrary way with any one of the trading partners, including the United States. Uh, he and the Obama administration was very opposed to the Five Eyes countries joining, uh, having Huawei participate for security reasons. When I was ambassador, we certainly communicated that to Ottawa, and we did not allow it to go forward in Canada for that reason. Uh, so on Huawei, there'll be no ambiguity on Vice uh, President-elect Biden's position, and uh, I think we should act accordingly, personally. On on the other issue of uh, Madam Joe, I think the uh, the difference between Trump and Biden is that uh, the Iran Iranian nuclear deal uh, was uh, broken by uh, President Trump, and the sanctions came in accordingly, and that led to the uh, charges that are now, uh, and the extradition request is now in place. So I can't predict what will happen to that, but I think Biden will take a different view on Iran, recognizing that the uh, Sunni countries and Israel uh, were opposed to the original uh, nuclear uh, treaty agreement with Iran. Ambassador, do you think that that means there's a chance the U.S. might drop the extradition request for Meng Wanzhou? Because of the situation with the U.S. and Iran and the changing position uh, with uh, Donald Trump leaving and Vice, Vice President Biden coming in, I don't think we can predict what will happen. Uh, but I do think that anything we do, uh, we should do ourselves with, uh, as Canadians. Uh, we shouldn't uh, roll the dice with what Vice President Biden may or may not do. I think we have to take this in our own hands and make sure that our two Canadian citizens are ultimately released from jail. They don't belong there. Uh, they should be released, and we should do everything possible in our own sovereign country to make that happen. The Canadian government has said that they will fight for Keystone XL, but Joe Biden has been pretty clear and categoric that his priority is climate change and that he's planning to cancel the pipeline. Do you think realistically there's any way the Canadian government is going to be able to talk him out of that? Well, I think we need a broader discussion on the United States joining the Paris Accord, energy and the environment. And I've always believed that rather than having a transmission line approved or not approved from Canada to the United States with clean energy or a pipeline approved or not approved uh, between our two countries, that we need a broader discussion. If we don't have a broader discussion, it becomes a binary choice for the president, uh, president-elect. And the pipeline actually is crossed the border of Montana with the cooperation of a Democratic governor, Brian Bullock, and a conservative premier, uh, uh, Jason Kenney. And it's crossed the border. And now the building trades uh, have a lot of jobs invested in the United States in that pipeline. Ambassador Dewar, that's all the time we have. But thank you for joining us with your insight. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Mercedes. And that's all the time that we have for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be right back here next week for the West Block. I'm Mercedes Stevenson.